Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. It's Binyamin Rhodes and myself, Gedali Gutentag, back with week two of Mishpacha's home front, covering Israel's war with Hamas. Binyamin, here in Beit Shemesh, we had a Shabbos of booms from the rockets and iron domes, and we heard the rumble of the Air Force jets that told us they would continue to pound Hamas over Shabbos. How was your Shabbos? Firstly, I'm sorry to hear that your Shabbos Menucha was disturbed. I hope that this is the last time because we're going to head toward a uh, smashing victory. We need one before Hanukkah for sure. In our neighborhood, thank God it was quiet. And I'd like to say we have a lot of new neighbors. There's a lot of people who are coming here from other parts of Eretz Yisrael. There's probably 500,000 Jews who've been displaced from their homes. Everyone talks about the Gazans, but we need to talk about the Jews who fled their homes. And many of them are coming to this neighborhood, which is near the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Not that they're coming for that, uh, but they're coming because there's a, a lot of Achnosis Orchen. And uh, you can see who they are. They uh, come right before Shabbos and the trunks of their cars are filled with their belongings and they have a lot of kids with them. And Baruch Hashem, uh, the uh, Jews are really stepping in and uh, helping out each other. But anyway, we're going to start with on the agenda. You know, this is, Israel is in kind of a holding pattern. That is for certain that the, the nation is waiting for this, the troops to go into Gaza in one shape or another. But in the meantime, we have three, essentially three stories happening. One of them is that as over Shabbos, Hamas released two captives, two uh, mother and daughter, what that means. Second one, Israel is in, I'd say, an unacknowledged two-front war with, to, through, uh, you know, to goad Israel into an invasion of Lebanon, possibly on that, that seems to be. And the third story is the international involvement with the U.S. and the heavy presence of region, China sending forces as well. So this area of the world is, is definitely heating up. So Binyamin, what do you make of what happened over Shabbos, which is the release of two mother and daughter? There's this psychological warfare on behalf of Hamas. Could there possibly be a wider prisoner exchange, even with Israel poised to go into Gaza? I don't see much chance, unfortunately, of a wider exchange. I don't think we should be talking about an exchange right now. I think that's what most politicians are saying as well. While it's very heartening that two people did get out, unfortunately, the count of hostages keeps mounting. Uh, we were dealing initially with a number of 100 or a little bit more than 100, and now we're up to 212. So even though two came out, the numbers seem to be mounting. And we need to be demanding that they be released because they're citizens. They're not criminals and terrorists like the ones we're holding in our prisons here. And we have to push the U.S., Qatar, in any way in which we can, and the International Red Cross to keep pressure for the release of uh, the innocent uh, people who are still being held. But I mean, is this not a game of kind of divide and conquer on behalf of Hamas in, in the sense that they've released American hostages? You know, they are very conscious of American warships, you know, sitting close to, and Iran is pulling the strings here, making decisions, presumably, to some extent. They're aware that America sent massive forces to the region. Is there not a danger that they will say, okay, let's draw down American pressure on us by releasing some American captives? But the vast majority of captives who are not American remain in Israeli hands. And, and in a certain sense, they hope the Americans lose the interest to intervene once their captives are released. Italia, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And again, we have to be insistent that this doesn't just apply to Americans. We have to let Antony Blinken know this too, that we understand that he's out to protect his own citizens. And a lot of them are dual citizens too. They're both U.S. and Israeli citizens. But we can't have a situation where we're playing favorites. Either they all come out 
or we're going in and we're going to get them. Right. So I over to item number two over here, which is in a sense, if I were to say to you three weeks ago that Hezbollah will be firing multiple anti-tank missiles at Israeli positions, IDF soldiers being killed, Israel bombarding the, the Lebanese or the Hezbollah back, and in fact, you know, inflicting massive damage on Syrian air bases in order to stop transfer of uh, war material to, to Hezbollah. And in addition, as you say, thousands evacuated from the north. We would have had a name for that. It would have been close to war or not just around. This is looking something close to that. Effectively, then, Israel is already in a state of conflict on two fronts, which leads to the question. Uh, I think it's important to understand that Hezbollah, we mentioned in an earlier episode, Hezbollah is leagues ahead of Hamas and their capabilities. And so Israel's trying to do everything it can to avoid a war with them. But what does Hezbollah want? What does Iran want? Is it trying to drag Israel in? Does it want to attack? And what does Israel itself want? There's a reported split between Bibi and Defense Minister Galant over whether to go some type of preemptive strike on them or to open a front with them. And, and a third question would have for what is America's role in this? Any thoughts on that, Benjamin? Uh, for now, I believe that uh, Hezbollah is trying to put pressure on us, and that applies to Iran as well. Uh, I don't think they're looking to escalate at this moment, but uh, once uh, Israel starts its ground invasion of Gaza, they might do that. The whole idea of the American uh, presence with the warships, especially, and now I understand that they've uh, spread a uh, air defense blanket over the region as well, is to stop and to deter Iran and Hezbollah from making this into a, a wider war. So with the U.S. pressure also and the U.S. help, that's definitely going to be on the minds of Iran and Hezbollah. They have to take that into account and figure out exactly what America would do if they try to escalate. But it's obviously a very fluid situation. It's very dangerous. And as always in situations like this, it's open to miscalculation by either side. Uh, which then ends up leading into a wider escalation. That's what we have to watch and worry about and daven for, or daven against, so to speak, that it doesn't happen, but also be prepared for it. I mean, it leads on to this area of the world is becoming very, very busy. I think you mentioned briefly at the beginning, you know, there seemed the reports of the Chinese sending a bunch of warships over this way. We have two American carrier battle groups, which I think listeners should understand they're not just a couple, an American aircraft carrier is like a monarch. It doesn't, you know, travel on its own, has a retinue. So an American carrier battle group has multiple, multiple ships and submarines around. So these waters, the East Mediterranean are, are just heavily swarming now with the combat vessels. Now the Chinese turn up. I, I can't claim to have any real expertise in China if I have an expertise in anything, but it's certainly not China. But what I have an interest in the doings of that big nation over there. What are they sending ships over here for? China's looking to protect their own interests, of course, uh, which are mostly at this point economic deals they've made with Iran, deals they've made with Saudi Arabia. But I think also what they're trying to do is project their own strength. They're trying to show that if America can send warships, so we have warships too. So I would say that what China's doing is a message to America and not a threat to Israel. That's an interesting point because it wasn't that long ago, decade or so, when China basically saw it's the Chinese Navy and etc. In everyone's mind, China's Navy was there to, you know, to hang around China. It's come as a shock to everyone, the West in general, America, China's uh, ability and intention to project uh, strengths, both firstly economic and now military as well. 
And it's a reminder that, you know, we've had Chinese diplomats very active in the region the last year. And it's just a reminder that th this is a power that is rising, rising and, and won't be ignored. And there's no intention to be ignored that I think we can probably say that we're going to see more of them militarily in the region, which given the fact that they are in the, some de facto alignment with Russia and Iran is not a good thing. But can I just share something that we have a tradition that's already four podcasts old to end with a bright spot. But uh, there's something here which is partially worrying, partially a blind spot. Let me share that with you. Uh, not a blind spot, I meant a bright spot. Let me share that with you, which is, I don't know if you're on any WhatsApp groups or any chats that are dealing with, you know, people trying to shuttle stuff, you know, food or equipment to the, sold to the soldiers at the front. Benjamin, are you on there? Witness to any of that traffic? I have a couple of those WhatsApp groups, and uh, I also noticed in the Times of Israel today that an article about 15,000 people who were among the demonstrators in Tel Aviv week after week, because of the network they built up to uh, keep in touch with each other and about the demonstrations, they've now banded together and they've taken over the uh, Expo Tel Aviv International Convention Center, and they're basically working around the clock to uh, uh, package uh, food and medical supplies for Israeli civilians who've been evacuated and who are suffering as a result of the war. So, you know, if there's a side that we can say that out of bad, the good comes. So, you know, this is something that was heartening to me to read. My take on that was there's been something worrying, which is when you see, and I'm part of one of these WhatsApp groups, and seeing it, seeing, you know, people transferring from America to, for example, as what one group is talking about, someone is sending from America 250,000 cliff bars, you know, the energy snacks like for the soldiers, because, you know, people instead of bringing kugels to the front line, you know, they bring things that can actually be useful. It's all very wonderful, but what I see again and again, and I saw in some of the Hebrew press reporting, you're seeing it from all directions. Soldiers on the front line are crying out for ceramic vests, the bulletproof vests, the stuff that's being supplied by the armies, either they're not getting it because they're not enough or they're old. And this is something that really worries me again and again in these situations. Again and again, you're finding that it's the civilians who have to either in Israel or overseas as well, have to pick up, you know, foot the, foot the bill or literally procure the stuff. I mean, this goes back decades. Remember Ariel Sharon sourcing night vision gear from an American friend of his, you know, so that his troops could actually see the enemy. This goes back decades, but surely... So it goes back to 1948. That's how we won the 1938. We're also with our own... But, but surely at some point one should say, well, enough of the excuses and enough of the business that, you know, whereas this is a country that, as you said, this is a country that should be able to stand on its own more. And yet again and again, you're finding whether it's, you know, the 2006 going into Lebanon and the, the troops had to supply their own water, right? The iconic pictures of them carrying these six packs of water, which is ridiculous. But still today, this is very troubling. But uh, in, in what sense is that a bright spot? You may ask, you may well ask. And the answer is obviously... The fact is, obviously, the, the Israeli government feels entitled to rely again and again on the fact that, you know, this Arabist, the fact that Jews overseas are in Israel are going to pick up the, for the bill, going to pick up the tab and going to get and get them mobilized. And so we have legitimate questions to ask over whether this army should have been better prepared in so many ways. But I think it's a wonderful thing that once again, we can rely on Jewish solidarity and everyone getting together to help each other. So that's my bright spot for the day. Benjamin, I look forward to a meeting tomorrow, hopefully. Mika Amkal Yisrael.